0: Thanks for downloading the McKay interview. This podcast is brought to you by Kyoto Japan Automotive Group, a company which I've known personally for over 20 years, and your one-stop shop for tires, batteries, and auto parts. Visit their website at www.kyotojap.com for more details. My newest guest is Dr. Ilya Koloschenko, founder and CEO of ImmuniWeb. He's an expert in cybersecurity, and we talk about a range of topics, including the key cyber threats to businesses and organizations, what resilience actually means, his assessment of the role of organized crime compared with enthusiastic and knowledgeable youngsters hacking into IT systems, and whether we should fear artificial intelligence. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone. Whether you're a techie or a non-techie like me, a business person in the IT industry or just in business and dependent on your IT systems for success, you cannot fail to have noticed that the increase in debate and comment, let alone the increase in new products and services in recent times, has been quite remarkable. Whether it's chat, GPT, Gaming, IoT or AI. What's new these days is always bewildering for many of us of a certain age or fast approaching that certain age when we observe the easy speed at which our children and grandchildren adjust to and manage new technology. I have a 10-year-old grandson and I speak from personal experiences to how fast he is learning skills on his tablet. Today's interview is not going to be negative about new technology but rather with the help of a specialist realistic about the direction we are going, the risks, and the opportunities. My guest is Dr. Ilya Kolochenko, founder and chief executive of ImmuniWeb here in Geneva, and we're sitting in the comfort of the Hotel Intercontinental in Geneva. He describes himself as a security expert and entrepreneur and leads a team of software engineers, data scientists, security analysts, and penetration testers. Although I'm going to ask him... Uh, in the interview what a penetration tester actually is. But Immuneweb uh, AI platform is an award-winning company and has received numerous awards and cl- has clients all over the world. Now, Dr. Kolachenko's qualifications are impressive. His bachelor's degree in mathematics and computer science, and master of legal studies from Washington University in St. Louis, Master of Science in Criminal Justice, Cybersecurity, Crime Investigation degree from Boston University, a degree Master of Laws from the University of Edinburgh, Doctoral degree in Computer Science from Capital Technology University, which I understand is in Maryland in the United States, whereas an adjunct professor of Cybersecurity Practice and Cyber Law. And I could go on, his qualifications are really quite impressive. And in 2017, he was named a thought leader by SC Media Reboot Awards. Dr. Kolodchenko, Ilya, welcome to the McKay interview.
1: Good afternoon. Thank you for having me here today.
0: Ilya, it's really a pleasure to see you again, and I feel somewhat in awe sitting in front of somebody who knows so much about a thing that which I know so little, such a, so you must forgive me if my questions sound a little bit naive and, uh, and ordinary, but please, first of all, tell me a little about yourself, although we've known each other a few years, and a little bit, a bit about your company, where you're from, and what your company actually does for people.
1: Sure. Uh, So basically speaking, I uh, mostly have a technical background, and I've been uh, practicing cybersecurity and cybercrime investigations for uh, more than 15 years as of today. Uh, I also recently, like eight years ago, uh, commenced my studies in cyber law and privacy and data protection, and I believe that the future of cybersecurity will uh, definitely belong to a uh, fusion of legislation and technology so I believe that it is important to have skills and knowledge both uh, in cybersecurity and in law uh, in order to uh, deliver comprehensive solutions to your customers not just you know uh, technical solutions or not just in you know, consulting but to make sure that you technically protect the infrastructure, the data, and you can also you know, support your customers and partners uh, when they're trying to comply with the emerging uh, laws and regulatory standards. Uh I would say that in UniWeb, this is my second company, and uh, our uh, goal is to uh, provide our customers with a peace of mind in relation to their application security. We are talking about web applications, mobile applications, uh, cloud applications, so it's a fairly Broad spectrum of different technologies. Uh, we also support our customers when they're doing dark web monitoring, in you know, they to timely detect and respond to security incidents, data breaches, different types of online fraud, uh, for example, you know, phishing websites, whatsoever else. And uh, today we uh, serve over uh, 1,000 enterprise customers from more than 50 countries, I believe. Uh, We are headquartered uh, in Geneva. However, we have our people located uh, across Europe. And uh, I truly enjoy this global presence because my first company, uh, from where I've successfully exited in 2019, uh, we were delivering, I would say, human-centric services. And now at ImmuniWeb, we are enjoying this global presence. We are operating 24-7 and uh, our customers can easily consume uh, all our products and services with a couple of clicks with an iPhone or desktop computer whatsoever they have.
0: Okay so it's an interesting phrase that you use there Ilya, that your customers come to you for peace of mind. So they come to you for peace of mind to use your expression but also then to implement situations that will provide or take away the worries they have. So these are worries that they think are potential, or these are worries that are are actual, or is it a combination of both?
1: I'd probably say that it's a combination of both, because we uh, do have uh, customers who are trying to proactively protect their infrastructure, their data. Uh, We also have customers who are uh, looking for additional support when reactively responding to security incidents, uh, and uh, we're trying to do our very best to su- to support both uh, types of customers. Okay.
0: Now, there seems to be, I, use the, I emphasize the word seems, to be a heightened frequency in an increased anxiety about cyber threats. Now, is my sense of the current situation correct? And if it's correct, why is this happening?
1: I believe uh, the... First reason is that uh, technology is becoming an, uh, I would say, omnipresent component of our daily life, and uh, we have our data everywhere. Our kids are using iPhones. Uh, we are hosting in a very sensitive health data in our smartwatches. And obviously now every single day every single morning every single evening we are reading about new data breaches security incidents and I believe that it would be a challenge to find a single person uh, in a developed uh, country who uh, has not yet uh, suffered a data breach not himself or herself personally but because of one of the providers one of the vendors uh, that has been breached so I would say probably it is also you know the trend that media are advertising you know uh, security incidents in very uh, loud manner in a good sense. So basically speaking, we see that everyone you know uh, people of all uh, age, uh, people of uh, uh, you know, coming from different social groups, uh, people you know, coming from technology and not technology, they are all becoming you know, concerned about the increasing cyber threats that may impact their personal life, not just their
0: employer. Okay, well, so let's just examine the different components of what you just said. What I'm interested to understand, I'm sure the listeners are too, because we have people listening of different levels of knowledge and expertise and skill. What are the key cyber threats to businesses and even ordinary people in Switzerland today?
1: I would probably say that uh, the biggest challenge that we uh, observe uh, in cybersecurity is about managing cybersecurity.
0: Managing it.
1: Correct. Because I would say cybersecurity per se is not that uh, difficult, it's not that complex, it's not rocket science, okay? Okay. But the challenge is when you have different people in different teams, frequently located across different offices. You have traditionally, you know, a very well-known challenges of turf battles, you know, of internal competition, of uh, conflicts over budgets, and you have to consistently, you know, and systematically allocate right people to do right tasks, and you also uh, need to bear in mind that you have all this relatively novel trends, like working from home, like your employees who are enjoying their privacy rights, but maybe uh, I would say naively or accidentally misusing technology, you know, for example, taking confidential data uh, to their uh, home offices, or, you know, storing some sensitive information on their mobile devices. So the complexity is becoming, you know, uh, unprecedentedly high and also i'd probably say that uncertainty this is probably the key challenge for many cybersecurity professionals first because you know technology is rapidly evolving cloud iot whatsoever else uh, and also you know the regulatory landscape is another challenge because every month i think we have uh, at least, you know, several new data protection or privacy protection uh, laws that are enacted by different countries. And frequently, uh, it doesn't matter that you do not have, you know, physical presence in a specific country, like you don't have a branch office. Uh, it suffices, you know, to have uh, customers in this specific jurisdiction, and you'll be required to comply with this uh, regulation or law and basically speaking, uh, even if we talk about it in a very simple concept, for example, disclosure, mandatory disclosure of data breaches. many people Of data
0: breaches. So there's, you have to disclose this, even if you wanted to keep it to yourself. That's
1: correct. In
0: some jurisdictions.
1: I would say virtually everywhere. I see. Virtually everywhere, virtually everywhere. And I would say this is uh, probably you now the uh, biggest challenge today. Because most executives uh, and cybersecurity managers, cybersecurity leaders, they are perfectly aware that they have to disclose uh, data breach, both to the victims and to the competent authorities. The challenge is that they don't know how to do this and they don't know when they are required to do this. And uh, what I observe, uh, you know, since several years, we have two extreme but incorrect approaches, okay, to disclose data breaches. First one is under disclosure, okay? When you're trying to conceal, you're trying to downplay, minimize.
0: Because of of
1: embarrassment. Embarrassment, losses, uh, you know, reputational impact whatsoever else, yeah. And uh, we saw that uh, in the United States, for example, uh, incorrect uh, disclosure of a data breach, uh, taking Uber's example in
0: 2022, Uber the, the taxi company, yeah, really, yeah. yeah,
1: it can it can trigger uh, criminal charges uh, against uh, cybersecurity executives. As that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, under disclosure can be you know, a very dangerous and risky avenue. On the other side, I've been following some companies that significantly over-disclosed data breaches because I would classify data breaches as a security incident. Okay, and security incident can be anything. You know, security incident is, for example, when you get a phishing email. Technically speaking, it's a security incident. Which I seem to get more and
0: more these days in my own laptop.
1: Exactly, exactly. So we have thousands of security incidents every single hour, all companies, all entities. And that's not a problem, okay? Because security incident doesn't necessarily mean that some data has been stolen or some data has been compromised or destroyed. So we have security incidents, and then we have... Uh, security incidents that are reportable security incidents uh, that you are just required to disclose to uh, regulatory authorities and then you have you know security incidents uh, most likely that have a lot of uh, victims and there is a foreseeable risk that
0: but, but you're talking about institutions, organizations, not individuals.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, most uh, frequently in you know, the legislation in relation to uh, data breach disclosure, it's about you know businesses or organizations, uh, also about governments, uh, p- partially. But mm-hmm. if you are an individual and your mobile phone has been hacked, you usually do not have a duty to disclose Uh unless you've been using your mobile phone for business. For example, you had a sole proprietorship company. So uh, now to resume about disclosure, I would argue that many data breaches that have been advertised, you know, by companies saying, oh, we, we've we been compromised, you know, change your passwords, you know, uh, cancel your credit cards, you know, it's red light, alert. Uh, they've been exaggerated. And we even, you know, witnessed several, uh, let's say, fairly uh, interesting cases when companies made, you know, broad disclosure saying that everything is compromised without properly conducting an investigation.
0: And the motivation for exaggeration?
1: Fear of sanctions for non-disclosure. I see, I see. So they, they uh, loudly... R- r- ring the ring bell, the bell. <laughs> ring yeah. the bell, wave the
0: flag. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Several weeks later they disclose that actually it was a false alert mm. that actually just certain customers have been impacted, not certain million. And several weeks later, once again they make another correction saying that it was not certain customers, not certain million customers, but certain thousand customers.
0: And this happens quite often, does it?
1: I would not say that this is like a major trend, but we frequently see that victimized companies, they uh, are stressed to disclose to do something. And prior to conducting a comprehensive technical and legal investigation, they are rushing to disclose, to notify. And this is actually uh, not what uh, the legislation requires, the legislation requires you to properly investigate, in you know, both technically to understand the scope of the incident, to understand what happened, to understand what kind of data uh, has been compromised, and then to following a risk-based approach in disclosure because, for example, if only, you know, uh, encrypted passwords have been compromised, uh, you will probably have a very different mode of disclosure compared when your uh, social security numbers, you know, uh, any sensitive healthcare data has been compromised. Yeah, I
0: understand, I understand. Now, d- no, let me just go, I just want to leap a little bit further forward so that you can explain aspects of the sequence. There's a word resilience, and I've interviewed people in your business before over the years, and that word comes up over and over again. And what I'm curious about is to know what resilience really means when it's used by a professional like you, like yourself.
1: I would say that uh, in cybersecurity, resilience is a fairly uh, broad and inclusive term, and many professionals and companies, they frequently have fairly different understanding of this term in my uh, opinion resilience includes your uh, technical and legal and managerial capabilities okay to to prevent security incidents and uh, uh, disclosable cyber security incidents I'm talking about data breaches that you uh, must report and the matter of law so prevention but also investigation and response because unfortunately some of the security incidents and sometimes even you know data breaches okay uh, you you cannot really prevent them with a 100% certainty so capacity to timely detect contain respond by respond I mean to notify victims uh, you know to assess the damage to cooperate with governmental authorities to make a correct uh, communications uh, with media to explain clearly, transparently, you know, without uh, uh, raising false alarms. Okay, so it's also about, you know, re- reactive capabilities. And most importantly, probably I would say about continuous improvement, though it's like, you know, tangential to resilience, but I believe that it is essential that all your proactive and reactive technical and legal and managerial and operational capacities, they should be continuously improved based on your experience and experience of others.
0: Okay, thanks. My, my guest today is Dr. Ilya Kolachenko of Immuniweb in Geneva, and we're talking about information technology, cybersecurity risk, and what the future might look like. Now, Ilya, what's your assessment of the role in cyber attacks of organized crime? of enthusiastic and knowledgeable youngsters who are just mischievous but not necessarily malicious or just corporate competitiveness or even espionage and malfeasance? Just give us a sense of organized crime, young bright people and company spies.
1: Uh, That's a very interesting question and I'm happy that uh, you've asked it. I would probably say that the problem that I see uh, in 2023, that amid the unfolding in you know, a financial and economic uh, s- slowdown, okay, uh, we see many bright, talented young people who are uh, struggling to find a decent job, and eventually they are recruited by uh, you know, cyber gangs. Uh, however, we, we call them because cyber gangs can immediately pay you a lot of money. And even you know, when we are comparing, you know, salaries from the top uh, cybersecurity companies, uh, usually, you know, uh, major uh, players uh, from cyber crime, they can... Uh, afford paying uh, almost 10 times more
0: a factor of 10 Yeah, I
1: I would say if you attain uh, a sufficiently high position within the cyber gang for example if we are talking about ransomware uh, you can easily make millions uh, and uh, no cyber security vendor will have uh, capacity to pay you such a salary
0: so the temptation is huge, the rewards are big Temptation
1: is huge, and I would say generally very few people would uh, cross the line. But when uh, young students, you know, graduates, they cannot find a decent job for them. Temptation is indeed, you know, uh, huge. And uh, probably I would say we'll see uh, many young, talented people who uh, will decide to take, you know, the other side, the bad side, uh, because of economic stagnation so uh i think that uh we have to think about you know implementing a national strategy in all countries how to secure uh, well-paid jobs for security engineers security analysts uh and uh, also you know we need to carefully think about you know how to offer competitive salaries for law enforcement agencies because the big challenge is that When you are looking for a job as a security analyst, for example, to conduct digital investigations, if you are comparing salary of a law enforcement agency, it will highly likely be significantly lower compared to private company. Okay, So law enforcement agencies around the globe, they are struggling to hire and to retain talent. So probably uh, we need to consider a national strategy how to enable our law enforcement agencies to attract the best cybersecurity and cybercrime investigation specialists.
0: Okay. What are the trends these days? that you as a specialist are aware of. We have artificial intelligence, we have IoT, the Internet of Things. These are all abbreviations that become almost part of most people's daily vocabulary, whether they're specialists or not. But they must encompass a wide range of meanings and many different facets. How can non-technical people non-technical people make sense of what is happening around them or does the basic education need to be raised in these new areas for us to live more comfortably and more knowledgeably in this new world
1: so i probably split my answer into two parts okay i would say it is uh Extremely important to uh, introduce cybersecurity and technology education in
0: schools, even at the school level. Yeah, yeah,
1: I believe that when our kids are six years old,
0: as young as that,
1: as young as that, because you know cyber criminals, uh, they uh, start uh, uh, profiteering from. A uh, lack of awareness about the dangers of social networks. I'm not just talking about you know sexual exploitation of children, but also about harassment, about bullying, about many other hidden uh, risks that uh, can uh, cause, oh, I would say, almost irreparable uh, emotional damage to our kids. So our kids should be trained in a sense very uh, young age to uh, understand the spectrum of risks and threats, how to respond to them, how to report them. Because I'd say most of the kids, uh, statistically speaking, who are harassed, who are intimidated, and who uh, eventually commit suicides because of this, uh, and something that their parents cannot uh, timely detect, they uh, they are usually harassed by their classmates. So we need to explain to our kids how to report, because kids are usually abandoned and they have no recourse. They don't know what to do. And uh,
0: sorry, no, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Carry on.
1: And they need to have in you know, a clear, understandable way what to do if you are falling a victim to online. Harassment, intimidation, whatsoever else. Uh,
0: I don't know if you're a family man, I don't know if you have children of your own, but do you know if this is going on in the school curriculum here locally in Geneva, in Switzerland, that young children are being taught as young as that how to deal with these situations?
1: I'm unaware of a nationwide program in relation to cybersecurity education. Uh, I'm not an expert in this area. However, I know that some schools they are introducing, you know, uh, classes or you know uh, some uh, courses where kids are trained about you know cyber risks, and I believe quite young,
0: quite young children.
1: Yeah, I believe that it can be different depending on the canton and uh, school, obviously. Uh, And uh, I think this is where uh, our government uh, should probably, you know, uh, allocate additional budgets. Because uh, today, in 2023, I would say the uh, broad spectrum of risks, you know, the most probable and also the most... uh, harmful they are not really coming from the street but they're coming from digital world and even when we're talking about drugs okay drugs in schools for example uh frequently you know drug consumption starts digitally you join the facebook group where other kids uh or you know uh Adults who are selling drugs, they are explaining how to consume drugs safely. They explain how kids and teenagers can safely purchase drugs. And uh, this is something that our kids should know, that this is evil, that this is something that they uh, need to uh, understand and immediately report. Because law enforcement, unfortunately, they do not have such advanced Capabilities and budgets, you know, to proactively prevent such things. But when we train our kids to detect, respond, and report, I'm confident our cities will become significantly safer.
0: That's good advice, Ilya. Last question: um, What is your view about the sentiment? expressed in an open letter from academics around the world and mentioned just this morning on the BBC Radio News, in which they say that it, I quote, it is no longer in the realm of science fiction to imagine artificial intelligence systems having feelings and even human-level consciousness. I mean, where are we going with this, Ilya?
1: I think that that's an interesting point. However, I also believe that you know feeling is a very broad term and for example, I think that I know when I feel something okay but I certainly know that I don't know how to measure and how to establish for example you know, that uh, someone else uh, is feeling something because we can express you know uh, some emotions okay like smiling or laughing but whether uh, the emotions are genuine uh, we don't know so I would say first we need to define uh, what feelings are and how we can measure them okay and then we can probably you know extrapolate this uh, term uh, to uh, robotics i think that as of today uh, no machines or ai or any forms of uh uh specific purpose ai systems they cannot feel like humans okay but i agree that in the future we may have you know machines that will have similar capabilities or capacities as we have i don't think that uh, within the next decade, you know, uh, engineers will be able to replicate a human being, though we will probably see robots that will be acting very similarly to us.
0: Okay, uh, Ilya, it's been absolutely fascinating and informative talking and listening to you. Thanks for answering all my questions so clearly. And my guest today has been Dr. Ilya Korochenko, founder and CEO of ImmuniWeb here in Geneva. Thank you, Ilya.
1: Thank you so much for having me here today.
0: Thanks for listening to the McKay Interview Podcast, brought to you by Kyoto Japan Automotive Group, a company which I've known personally for over 20 years, and your one-stop shop for tires, batteries, and auto parts. Visit their website at www.kyotojap.com for more details. And you can find more podcasts on Anchor FM. Just Google McKay Interview Anchor FM. Thanks again for listening.